Welcome back to episode 24. On this episode, I speak with Ben Robertson, a Canterbury-based ex-elite cyclist and now well-respected massage therapist. Ben opens up about his time in the sport of elite cycling, the pressures involved and his story struggling with disordered eating, specifically anorexia nervosa and purging through excessive exercise. I feel really privileged to have had Ben come on and be so open and honest about a topic that can be hard for many to talk about. I really want to emphasise that eating disorders are not just in females, and it is a growing issue in male athletes too, especially those on the cusp of being elite and professional. I really hope you enjoy this very raw, honest and insightful discussion. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, You can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. This morning, I have Ben Robertson joining me on the podcast, which is really exciting. Ben, how are you this morning? Very well, thanks. Very well. Yeah. Had a good weekend? Yeah, I did, actually. (laughs) Yeah, got up to a bit. Uh, Spent time with the family and a little bit of exercise, so it's always good to get out in the sunshine. Oh, absolutely. Haven't had many of those days this winter, so they're few and far between. I know, I know. It's been pretty grim, actually. (laughs) So, for anyone out there who has no idea who you are, can you introduce yourself, who you are and what you do? Uh, well, my name's Ben. Um, I used to um, be a cyclist. Um, firstly, I just sort of um, got into sport through team sports and stuff like that, and then um, had a rugby injury, so I got into cycling from a... Um, a surgeon actually that um, told me to get a bike just so I could rehab my knee properly. Um, so that's how I got into cycling. And um, in terms of uh, how I am now, like I've, I've got my massage business, um, I got into that through cycling as well. Um, and just sort of uh, just because of the benefits I found through when I was racing, how much massage helped me. But uh, background to that um i raced here in new zealand mainly um at elite level um i mean i never went to olympic games i never reps in new zealand um although i really wanted to and by the end i i got good enough i suppose in some respects to feel like i could you know go to europe but i got a little bit too old got a little bit worn down with the sport as well um and just the the pressures that come with being an amateur sport here in New Zealand, but training as a professional, I found it um, quite difficult to balance everything. And like most amateurs here in New Zealand who don't get paid for their sports, whether it be cycling, whether it be athletics, um, I find that's really hard because there's no support here for uh, amateur professionals as such that are training that hard. So there's no, there's no dietitians, there's no um, doctors around to help them keep them under control. So. That's what I found. Um, well, anyway, that's my sort of background of the how I felt about the sport anyway. Mm. Yeah. So you were into rugby and you had an injury. Was it a knee injury, did you say? Yeah, it was a knee injury. And I wasn't, I wasn't like, particularly good at rugby. I loved it. Um, played a lot of cricket as well. Um, but, yeah, then I sort of, after I had an operation, I sort of struggled to run. And that was when the surgeon um, just told me to get a bike and being competitive and uh, that sort of way I just sort of uh, went all in like I usually do and um, 
yeah, just loved it, eh? Just started off loving the sport. Like, it was, yeah, it was a great sport to get into. I found it hard, difficult uh, in the start to crack into the sport. Um, it's quite, it can be quite clicky. Um, so I found that difficult at the start. Um, but I loved it being out and about and training a lot. And, yeah, just made you, I don't know, just endurance exercise just, yeah, just does it for me, really, yeah. Well, you must have had a bit of a natural flair for cycling to get to an elite level just off being recommended to cycle by a surgeon. Um, yeah, it was probably just my personality of being quite stubborn and being um, very competitive um, and dealing with discomfort. I, I don't mind discomfort in some ways. Um, and, yeah, just having some... And I think it came later on having perfectionist traits and wanting to and be the best and, um, you know, train the hardest I could, um, yeah, to get to that level. But I think that's sort of why it, why um, progress kind of quickly, I suppose, just, yeah, being that sort of perfectionist sort of, you know, wanting to be the best. Um, and a lot of people like that. And you've got to be a little bit mad in some respects to, to train hard, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, put yourself through some suffering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what what age did you get into, I guess, the elite cycling? You know? um, it took, like, it didn't take me that long to crack into. I mean, I started quite late, so I reckon I started 23 or so, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then um, I got into it um, by, by luck, I suppose, or just through um, word of mouth, I got into a, a team called Benchmark Home Cycling, which sort of carried me on for a number of years, and that was my introduction really into some good um, elite-level racing, really. Um, and, yeah, I was like a team helper for many years, and that's I quite enjoyed that. Um, and then, yeah, later on, it sort of got a bit more serious, and then when, when you become um, one of the better riders, then there's a lot more pressure, and I think I... I struggled with that pressure um, and that's probably, um, yeah, I liked the, at the start, I liked the pressure and the training, but in the end it got a bit, it got a bit tiresome, but I still love the sport for sure, yeah, mm. yeah. Did you compete internationally or nationally with your cycling? Uh, nationally, I did want to compete internationally, um, but a few things got in the way and, and um yeah, it just it's sort of a young man's game, really. Um, unless you, unless you're early twenties or even teens, like while well, when I was racing, like you'd have to go over to Europe then. Um, trying to go over to Europe um, as an older rider is quite hard. Uh, there's more opportunities these days, and I feel like people can get over there easier, which is awesome because so many young riders in Europe this year. And they're all doing awesome. And I think New Zealand have got some of the best riders in the world, but mm. it's just cracking into that European racing that's um, proven to be difficult in the past and sort of only the, the best make it, really. Um, but it's good to see all the young guys heading over now, you know, like out of school and stuff like that. Um, good to yeah. see them having a crack over there, yeah. Because it is pretty young, isn't it? It's sort of like 18 to 21-year-olds seem to be yeah. a lot of who, who is over there currently so when you say it's not a it's mainly a young man's game when you said you're older like is that considered like 23 24 years old as old for cycling um to crack into a team i spot in terms of getting a development team yes because they tend to take while well, it's under 23 um these developments uh, teams over in Europe. So, yeah, you can go over when you're 25 to 30, um, but it would just be a bit harder, that's all. It's, they seem to pick up these younger guys now. Um, and it's a good pathway now. Like, um, I think it's good. Um, and there's a lot more connections now with, like, riders that have been in Europe um, have got connections over there. So, um, yeah, in terms of if you're in Europe and you're 30 years old, you'd probably... You know, if you're good enough, you'd probably get a ride for some better teams. But, you know, it was a bit hard, like, um, definitely like 10 years ago to just go over and have a crack yourself, especially if you had family or a wife or a job or whatever. Yeah, mm, yeah, super hard. And I assume, too, um, without much support, you'd still be trying to work and, 
you know, whilst training almost full time as well. Yeah, mm. exactly. And that's what makes it hard, I think. Mm. So, yeah. But it gives you some balance. Like, yeah, I find it gives you good balance to have work and, and other family things going on as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> before we get into, I guess, um, some of the challenges you experienced, what were some of your biggest accomplishments? Like, what's your proudest moment in cycling? Um, my proudest moment, um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I found, uh, looking back, some of them are proud, like looking back, I'm proud of them. But at the time I couldn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like I couldn't enjoy it because I thought there was more mm-hmm. and I thought they were just sort of little stepping stones, I suppose. Um, I did the tour of South in a few years ago and, and I went in thinking I was, I was in good condition, got pneumonia in July, and but then I, I did pretty well and got a couple of most aggressive um, jerseys and stuff like that. And looking back like on that year, that was a pretty big accomplishment considering where I'd been. Um, so, yeah, looking back at it and I look at stuff like that, they're probably my proudest moments, even just... Um, yeah, early days of benchmark homes when guys would win um, the elite series rounds um, or win the whole thing like that was pretty, pretty good for me. Um, or even helping teammates win big races, um, that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, because I feel like I had, um, it sounds all negative all the time, but like, like I felt like I wasn't done in the sport, so it sort of I didn't um, celebrate those achievements when they did come um and that's sort of like the sport you sort of just keep going and going and sort of push on to the next thing but looking back i would say yeah a few like things like that elite series round that i won in timaru that was pretty special sort of winning by myself by a few minutes um and we had some pretty good riders that day um hayden rolston was riding um shane archibald was riding like there were a few good riders that day and um Winning by myself there was, yeah, I'd say that's probably my proudest moment. Actually, kids were there, wife was there watching the finish, so that was pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Winning by a few minutes—that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just happened that way. I got a bit lucky, and then it sort of, yeah, just, yeah. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to be able to look back and celebrate those um, accomplishments as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. You well, we originally got chatting because um, I'd shared something about some study I was doing around um, male athletes and disordered eating, and then yeah, yeah. you um, reached out and we had a bit of a chat around that. But yeah. I guess it would be really interesting because you've already, I guess, mentioned it a little bit already about like the perfectionist tendencies and struggling in the sport a bit too. But what happened for you as a young man in cycling? Um, I started off as a bigger rider, so I came from, um, you know, other sports, so I was a bit more solid. Um, and as I got more and more into the sport, I just lost weight, just as you do. Um, um, at the time, there's always talk about how lean someone is, how their power-to-weight ratio, all that sort of stuff, and it just... It gets like it's just all that's talked about sometimes, not like all the time, but um, when I was around it. Um, and then um, the tipping point really was I started to get quite good. I lost uh, a few kilos after actually a vomiting bug, and um, and I sort of trained through it and, and kept training, and I'd lost a few kilos and I started going really well. And and then I thought, oh, there must be there's something to this, you know, like getting some validation from from losing weight, you know, and winning races and things like that, or doing really well and <clears throat> finishing with top guys. So there was always that um, in my head, and then it was like, oh, I'm, I'm this weight now. Well, what if I was this weight? Like, how fast would I be then? And so then I'd go, okay, like if I get down to Let's say I started off at 78 kilos, which is what I was. And I got down to 72 and and, uh, I was racing pretty well. And I thought, oh, what if I was 70 kilos? How good would I be then? 
And then, so being me, I just uh, made did what I could do um, eating wise to restrict that and still train through and get down to 70 kilos. And then when you get to 70 kilos, you think, oh, what if I was even lighter? And then there's this tipping point where um, I found I dropped below a certain weight, which was around 69, 68 kilos. My, it's almost like, and I can't explain it, but the brain chemistry changed, like something in my head, just the switch just flipped. And all I could think about was food, what was next, what was, um, I, I had anxiety around food. I couldn't go out for dinners. I couldn't. Um, and at the time, I knew I was being stupid and I knew I was being silly, uh, but I couldn't stop it and I couldn't control what I was doing. Um, and previous to that, when I heard people who had anorexia or bulimia, I used to think, oh, I'll just suck it up and have a pie, you know, just like, just go eat some food. Um, but being through this myself, I realized that's not the case at all. Something happens within, I don't know whether it's a hormone imbalance, whatever happens. Um, it just, it just, um, changes everything and there's no turning that off. You can't, no matter how much weight you put back on that, that is always in your brain chemistry, I suppose. Something's, yeah, it's always there. Um, and that's what, um, yeah, that's what triggered me early on. It's probably oh, the last probably six, five, six years of my riding. Um, and then it was just a battle from there on, you know, like con- trying to control those thoughts. Yeah. So this, I guess you'd call, um, were you ever diagnosed with a formal eating disorder or? Yeah, I was. Yes. Yeah. I, I went to, um, I saw Dr. John Hallamans at Sportsmed. Yeah. Um, and also his wife, Ian, helped me out. Um, yeah. They didn't say it at the time. They didn't. They just tried to um, help me and help me like eat a lot of food and like because I just said, look, I, I want to know how much I need to eat, and I want to know that I'm not going to starve myself. But I'll just just give me a plan and I'll I'll stick to it because that's sort of how I was, and and I did, and it did happen for a while. But you keep relapsing, mm. um, and then I just got really thin and. And John just sat me down and he just said, you're anorexic. And I thought that was quite um, a massive turning point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it was a shock. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, no, I'm not. Like, he's like, you are, mate. You, you're anorexic. Like, you know. Um, and, I, and, yeah, that was a huge shock. But it sort of made me start thinking that I wanted to get better. Um, uh and also, like, you know, there was things used as exercise and just bulimia, like all that sort of stuff, because that's what I would do. I'd eat stuff all and, and go out for a five, six-hour ride on just water, you know. Mm. Um, so there's that sort of thing. You know, if I had a big meal the night before I had pizza or something, I'd, I'd punish myself by going out and riding on nothing for five hours. Um, so, yeah, that was, a, that was um, the help I got. And then they just helped me along for the next five years, really. They were amazing. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it was quite a, a long time that you were stuck in that that mindset, I guess, and trying to recover from from anorexia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, as much as you as much as you think you're healed, you you're never healed. Mm. It's it's always there. It's always in the back. Even now, like, I think, oh, should I be eating that? And now I, I don't really care because mm. I, life's too short. So, but um, you know that. At the time, I, I couldn't think anything else. And if the only time I would put on weight is if I had a crash um, or I was in hospital or I had surgery or something and it just happened naturally. Um, and that's, yeah, probably the only times I sort of came out of it was through injury or, or crashes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And a few of the things you mentioned before with like how, you know, it changes how you think about food and like the brain chemistry, that's a very legit thing. And when we're helping people recover from disordered eating or or anorexia, the most important thing we have to do regardless of anything else is refeed quite a significant amount of food because a starving brain will never think about Mm. things logically. Yeah. Um, 
so you have to feed the brain and then after that and the body's starting to be refed that's where you can start trying to work with like the I guess psychological side of things and you know speaking yeah. with a dietitian and all of that otherwise it's just hopeless you can't yeah, yeah you can't help a starved brain no no the irrational thinking just goes out the window it's mm. not as much as you think it's silly you still can't rationalize it it's really it's hard to um explain <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like you know probably what you should be doing, but you just can't bring yourself to do it because there's just this no. overwhelming urge to continue the behaviours you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So what, when you were, I guess, in, in the really the worst times of all with uh, basically starving and training ridiculous amounts, what kind of symptoms were you experiencing? Um, I was, well, I was tired all the time. Um, for one, um, my, there was no sex drive. There was nothing. Um, um, I would, and that was a telling point as well. Like I see Johnny do blood tests. Um, testosterone was next to nothing in the blood tests. Um, so therefore everything I did, like you need a lot of testosterone to train and recover. Right. So, um, I was. Um, struggling to recover, um, I was sore all the time. My muscles were like I was in agony a lot. Like I would go to bed and I would just I wouldn't sleep. I would cramp um, all through the night. I just woke up cramp with cramps. Um, or other things. Um, I was so lean and so I was so lean but so fit. Like my heart rate was very low, like thirty. Um, resting um, and I would wake up gasping in the middle of the night for breath um, uh, I'd feel like my heart would stop uh, quite frequently um, all this stuff but mainly that just the absolute fatigue and stuff like that but I would get over that by starving myself during the week and then come race like Friday, I'd have a race on Saturday. So on Friday, I'd start eating heaps. And and um, and then on the Saturday, I'd race quite well because it's like my body had rocket fuel because it hadn't had carbohydrate for a week. And it just it reiterated the fact that being lean uh, and starving myself was working, which was ridiculous because I didn't really win many races being that lean mm. i won most of my races being a bit heavier so that's the rational thinking again was like it was a bit silly um but i convinced myself that that's um you know i was better that way um and i would like finish like top five top ten in almost every race just because i was fit and lean i suppose mm. um but never really sort of had a really big win but yeah, for some reason, I just thought that, that um, it was working. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, mainly, I would say extreme fatigue, muscle soreness, um, being very cold all the time, very cold. And winter, I'd sleep with much of my wife discussed. I would sleep in bed with a electric blanket on, uh, a beanie, um, a hoodie, and some like long pajama pants. So that's how I'd sleep like through winter because um, I was so skinny, yeah. And I mean, saying it worked, I mean, it worked until it didn't, right? Like it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's like any sport, like you'd want to achieve your peak fitness or have a, you know, body fat percentage or whatever to peak for an event. But I was doing it for like months on end, mm. you know, at the same, well, probably definitely below weight. But in terms of like thinking about it like that, like trying to be in peak fitness for like two or three years, it's just not sustainable. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah. not sustainable for anyone. I mean, there's usually only no. a few weeks of the year where you can be at your peak and then exactly. the rest of the time it's just all the background work. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, with the testosterone, that's really interesting because I always like to say for men, with I guess we'd call it like relative energy deficiency in sports, so reds, um, yep. there's nothing that's super obvious like there is for females. Like the most obvious thing for females is their loss of menstrual cycle. But for men, I always say like low testosterone in a blood test is kind of like the version of that 
for men. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a warning sign. So, yeah, I, I don't think an elite cyclist that it's uncommon to have low testosterone, but I think it should be, it, it's certainly important to um, monitor that and act on it when it is low. Um, yeah. Mm. definitely yeah definitely and that's what we found when i started putting on weight and would do tests to see if the testosterone was coming up and it did like as soon as i keep putting on weight and um when i finished cycling um yeah testosterone changed dramatically Mm. dramatically yeah how long did you find it took like from having a low testosterone level to having it increase how long was that for you um probably a year okay it's quite a while yeah 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 and because then if yeah you've still got to battle that sort of putting on weight and and all that sort of stuff going along with that too but yeah i reckon it probably took let's say eight months to a year i would say quite a long time it's not an easy it's not a quick fix i don't reckon yeah yeah that's probably a reflection too of how long it took you to try and put on some weight and get past those mental hurdles as well Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. And so, even when I thought I was putting on weight and I was bigger, I was still underweight. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah. Like that, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and from from all of that happening and where you are now, are you carrying any long-term consequences of that? Um, yeah, I think there's contributing factors to my health now, um, which probably that is one of them. So I have a heart condition now, where it's pretty much athlete's heart, but it's just um, it got a little bit out of hand. So training, you know, like a lot, 20 hours a week plus working, kids, family, um, took its toll, you know, reduced sleep. So essentially my heart, the ventricles um, grew um, to a point where uh, my heart was starting to fail. Um, So through the few months leading up to that, I was very tired all the time. I was putting on weight and I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, why am I so exhausted? Um, something's not right. Um, and so I just stopped racing um, and just rode, you know, how I felt and stuff like that. Um, and then after that, I started getting these incredible palpitations Um Generally through the night, there was one night there where it was unbelievable. Um, I was sort of, I wasn't blacking out, but I was close to like a lot. Um, and and from there, um, I was seeing a GP um, for a couple of months and he, he kept fobbing and offers um, all these other things like I said you know it's I'm getting these palpitations I feel my heart pounding 24 7 I can't sleep and he was saying things like oh it's because you're so lean and your heart's close to your chest wall you can feel your heart beating all the time all this stuff progressed and he was like oh I think you've got anxiety um and it got to a point where these palpitations and hearts blocks and stuff were so bad I just rang a cardiologist he got it, got me in, halter monitor, picked up these uh, tachycardias, um, noticed my heart was dropping to like 26 beats per minute overnight, um, and then got an MRI, which, which picked up the volume of the heart and also the fluid on the lungs, which is why I was tired and struggling to breathe and stuff like that. And so from that, I've, yeah, I've it's not just because of the eating, but I would say it's a combination of you know, training so hard and just putting my body under so much pressure. Um, and I remember saying to John Hellman's once, like I was doing intervals up a hill and I couldn't get my heart rate up. And and um, this was before I had the heart problems. And he's like, and this is when I was really lean. He said, it's because your heart doesn't want to go any harder. It won't let you because it doesn't want you to conk out. So, and that made me think back on how I was feeling and that year leading up to this heart stuff, like it, there were warning shots all the way down. Um, so I don't think the anorexia um, was the sole um, player, but it was a ma- I'm sure it was a massive role, massive role. And that's why I don't want anyone else to go through the same thing that I have. I mean, I know I'm not like dying or 
you know, haven't got some like, you know, really fatal disease or anything like that. But to me, that was a horrendous time. And and even now, like I've got ongoing heart problems and palpitations and heart blocks I just have to deal with. You know, I'm not the worst heart patient in the world. I haven't got the worst heart, but you know, everything's functioning fine. It's just that, um, you know, down the line, I'll need a pacemaker and, and things like that. So there's that as well. and just trying to get your head around that. The sport that I once loved sort of, and I still like it, don't get me wrong, but it just sort of, um, yeah, it just sort of cooked me a wee bit. Um, and it's just, um, I just don't want anyone else to go through what I've been through. Not that it's the worst thing in the world, that what I've, what's, you know, what I'm dealing with now, but just I don't want anyone else to go through that. It was horrendous. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, going to sleep at night, wondering when I'm going to wake up in the morning, saying goodnight to my wife, like all that sort of stuff. Um, we've got two kids as well, so it was pretty hard um, dealing with that and not knowing what was going on. So, I, yeah, whenever I see young guys in cycling or any sport or running or, or whatever and I, and I see them and I watch the same mannerisms and the same things around food, I just it just gets me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to help. And that's why I reached out to you and I saw um, what you were looking at and I was like, oh, I'd like to um, get it out there and get more people aware of that it can happen to me and it does happen to me. Not that I'm the most elite person or the most high-profile person in New Zealand to talk about this because I'm sure there's many others, but I just want it to stop um, and stop in the sport and focus on strength and power and being fit, not you know, being lean and and stuff like that, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think too, like, it's so important that we talk about this more, like, disordered eating and sport and eating disorders. And I feel like it, it's great because maybe it is a bit more recently, but I feel like the focus is still on females a lot. And yeah. I, I think it's important for us not to forget that it doesn't exclude men from this either. And I would see it probably increasing in men in sport to be honest especially cycling yeah. and running um yeah. because it's the you know power to weight or um being a light endurance runner or whatever it is it's definitely an issue yeah yeah for sure um and as you said like it's more prominent girls but girls talk more as well whereas guys won't say anything so feel embarrassed that you know they have got a problem um but it's also the image the image is like the image of like people wanting to look like other people or see photos on Instagram, like, or wherever of these athletes with totally different body types, totally different muscle mass. And they're like, I want to be like that. So I'm going to starve myself. Well, you're not going to look like that because you're not built like that, but they still try. Mm. And I think that's the problem. Everyone wants to look like this, like professional athlete, but everyone's different. I mean, you look in the pro peloton, like everybody's different shapes and sizes. Some guys are really muscular. Some guys, aren't um but everyone strives for that like perfection of what it is to be a professional athlete and i think that's what the problem is as well Mm. yeah and uh instagrams are full of people in their at their best isn't it like they're probably at their peak in performance and you know they're sharing these photos and even they like as the athlete they wouldn't look like that 365 days a year like that's no, exactly. unrealistic and if they are well I'd be worried about what their relationship with food is as well if they're super lean all year round yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so with with your health currently now is there anything that you have to be careful about like is there limitations for your exercise and heart rate or what does that look like um there is um it's sort of a plant by ear sort of thing like and, and by feel I mean, now I don't cycle because um, I did, once I was allowed to get back into cycling, so I was on beta blockers and an ACE inhibitor for about eight months, um, and I was allowed to walk 20 minutes a day, and that was my exercise for a good few months. So after that, I was allowed to get into strength training, so I was allowed to go to the gym. And I started at the gym, I got super obsessive about that, like I do, Um, went too hard, and then, um, and then, I got I was allowed to get back into endurance sport again, um, and I got back into cycling a little bit, and then I just went back to my old ways, and not eating wise, but training wise. Um, so, and with that sport, 
I know how far I can push and I know how hard I can go. So I was starting to train again and it wasn't good. I had, you know, heart problems from training too hard again. So now I don't cycle. I run with, um, I run with mates in the hills. You do trail running. Um, and it's not about going hard. It's about having a yarn and enjoying the exercise. It took me, it's taken me a good year to realize that's what exercise should be about for a lot of people is about having fun and being out and seeing things you haven't seen before. Um, so now I just, um, I don't go super hard when I run and I don't run a lot. And if I do, then I will have like, you know, little kickbacks with my heart will tell me I've done too much. Um, and then it's sort of just managing that and then, um, just cutting back. But yeah, I run, and I do a bit of swimming. I swim probably two or three times a week and then just trail run with friends um, and just try and keep the heart rate um, at an endurance type pace. You can go a bit harder time to time, but yeah, endurance sort of zone. Um, and that's pretty enjoyable to be honest. And it's, it still does it for me, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you track your heart rate pretty closely when you're exercising. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Um, so I've always got a heart rate monitor, um, and and you know when it's going a bit bananas, like it'll yeah it'll do funny things. But generally, if I keep it endurance zone, it's pretty steady and it's pretty good. And it's kind of like my heart likes a bit of exercise as well. It likes a bit of um, stretch sort of thing. Like um, if I do nothing for a week, then again like heart plays up. So kind of likes to do a bit of exercise as well. So yeah. But yeah, early on when I was having the problems, um, it was um, monitored pretty closely, but now I just go and feel, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I always like to say cardiovascular exercise is strength training for the heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Is the reason you trail run with friends, would you run by yourself doing something like that or would you do you run with friends just in case like something happened with your heart? Is that... Oh, yeah, both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went for a run yesterday by myself in the hills. I just, I usually stick to like roads. Um, not that anything's going to happen, but it's always in the back of my mind. So I just ran, um, ran along the roads because running trails is a bit more likely for people not to come across you. But um, not that it's going to happen. And my cardio sort of assures me that nothing's going to happen. But even if you black out, like it's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally I try and, um, exercise with um with friends just to just for my peace of mind really yeah 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 Yeah. if you went out and did like something anaerobic like I don't know some really hard intervals or hill sprints or something what what sort of symptoms would you experience now with your heart um it would depend like sometimes it might be fine like it might it might be all good um but um, it would just be, it would just be the pounding, really. It would be pounding like crazy um, in my throat and my ears, like just uh, very forceful. Um, and then it would beat really fast, and it would stop for a few seconds, and then it would beat really fast, and then stop. So there's that. But um, yeah, I try. Yeah, I, as I said, I try not to try not to get it up too high. Um, for too long anyway mm. yeah there's points where you'd be trail running you, your heart rate would be high um but it's not like um you know the old days where i'll be doing like if it's up hills for certain you know 20 minutes or something like that mm. um so yeah um yeah there's not yeah i'm not too afraid about the symptoms now in terms of during exercise um it's more at night when you're sleeping and trying to sleep and stuff like that that it bothers you more yeah. So yeah. what's your resting heart rate now? It's still around the high 30s. Yeah. So it'll always be, it'll always be low. Um, and it's just, yeah, just how, how I am now. Um, but, yeah, like even recent, like, um, halter monitors and stuff, it's around 30. So it dropped down to about 30 at night. Um, but, you know, it might happen to heaps of people and they just don't even know it. It's just that I was mon- I'm monitored, so um, you know no more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very interesting. Um, also, random question, have you had COVID? 
I have had COVID, yeah. How did you find yeah. that with your heart? It was fine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it was fine. Um, the jabs were worse. Okay. So, um, yeah, the jabs I found were quite bad. So, and I've known a few people that had um, problems with the jabs, but first first injection, um, my heart was bananas for the whole night. It would just go off um, arrhythmias, heart blocks. It was just going nuts. Next day, good as gold, nothing wrong. And then the same with the second jab, same again. Um, it would just go absolutely nuts. And then, um, yeah, next day, fine. So, um, I don't, yeah, I don't really have any problems with COVID or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, that's lucky. Yeah. Yeah, because I know a few guys who have. Well, even my cardiologist said that he's had, he's had a lot more business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even with um, people training uh, after COVID and then and then getting issues a few weeks later mm. um, and just like just a bit of fluid around the heart and stuff like that um, mm. seems to be quite common especially in athletes because they they push the envelope a wee bit sometimes yeah well it's hard to rest isn't it yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah oh. and now with your mindset around foods and like you said at the start it's kind of always in the back of your mind what yeah. would you say you still like would you still struggle with anything now or What's like? Um, yeah, you always struggle with um, body image, I suppose, um, and the change. Um, you know, when I first changed and started eating more, and and then um, yeah, put on a bit of weight, a bit of fat. Um, you always think, oh god, like this looks horrendous. Um, to most other people. Uh, you look pretty lean, but to you, you're like, oh gosh, you know, compared to what you used to be like, you think that you're quite um, overweight, which is not the case at all, but it's just this sort of, this body um, dysmorphia sort of thing that sort of kicks on in your brain. Um, yeah, that's what I found. Um, and even now, like you think, oh gosh, I'm getting a bit tubby. And I suppose heaps of people think that as well. They're like, you know, but for me, it's probably more, yeah, it just feels more um, significant and I just feel um, not anxious about it, but sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, so it never really goes away, I don't feel. It gets better, yeah. Mm. yeah. And you get better at managing it as well and knowing when the behaviours are creeping back in or... Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, and you just, yeah, you just have to think, oh, well, it's just a bit of food or whatever the case may be. Mm. Um you know, and like, you know, if you're really ill on your on your deathbed, you're not going to re- regret having that chocolate bar, are you? Um, you know, like it's not a big deal at the end of the day. Um, but during your training and stuff, you think that it's a huge deal, mm. um, but it's really not. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So as, as part of your journey of getting better, I mean, you had a sports doctor, John, you had a dietitian. Was there anyone else? helping you like did you ever go to a psychologist or anything like that no and that was a problem that's what angered me about the system mm. um that there wasn't any and i rang several well heaps of places dozens um and i wanted someone that was um a psychologist in that sort of area and and the uh, um, eating disorder sort of area. The only way I was going to get that help was going to be admitted to Princess Margaret or something like that where, you know, um, but I wanted someone in the field of um, eating disorders um, in sport, really, or eating, like, there should be some, there should be someone, especially in Christchurch, I found there was no one, um, that dealt with that. I saw one a sports psychologist um who wasn't, it wasn't for me, like, just sort of focused more on performance. And I went to this person saying, look, this is, I'm preparing for this race and I have, um, this is the problem I have. Um, and he just focused on performance anxiety. And I was like, well, uh, you know, I've, you know, the performance anxiety is the least of my worries. And I pretty much, you know, reiterated that. But um, I just found his, yeah, it was more of a um, performance-based psychology that was around sport. There was nothing 
there was nothing in disordered eating. There was nothing to help athletes with this problem. And even um, even in Hallerman said to me, she said, like, if you ever find anyone uh, in this field, can you let me know? Um, because there just wasn't anyone in Christchurch. And it was bloody frustrating, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to a normal psychologist, I don't... I know that help in a way but i don't think they'd fully understand and at the time getting in to see one was horrendous i, I needed help then and uh, oh yeah we can see you in three months or oh we're not taking new patients or blah 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 mm-hmm. and that's what i really struggled with i was like shit how am i going to do this by myself um and it just yeah the people that helped me were my friends um john and his wife um, they were pretty much my my help, really, mm-hmm. through it. Um, yeah, and uh, a couple of my close friends, um, yeah, they helped me through it as well. So I was lucky I had those people around me. If I didn't have those people around me, um, it would have been pretty rough, I'd say. Yeah, I was lucky to have those people around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's no, I don't, uh, there might be now, but back then there was no avenue for talking to a psychologist about disordered eating. Yeah. There's still very few now and the wait lists are still just as bad. It's frustrating as a health professional because sometimes, you know, you refer clients on to see someone and it will be possibly months or they just don't have space and they'll decline. It's really hard. It's almost like you have to be incredibly unwell, like, you know, death is a risk type thing before Mm. someone will accept you, which is just really upsetting actually. Um, So we need more psychologists and we need more who specialise in eating disorders and athletes. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I think there's there's a massive gap there. Massive, yeah. I actually, I had a random phone call the other day and it was about a patient who I actually, I was like, sorry, I don't know who this patient is because I thought it was private practice related. And I was like, oh, is this referral from when I was at the CDHB? And they said, yes, it was. And this was to like an eating disorders type group. Um, and I was like, oh, what's the date of the referral? Sorry. And they said it was August last year. And they were only oh, contacting wow. me now about this person. And I was just like, that is so bad. So bad. So yeah. yeah, a year later, they were finally contacting this person to give them some help. Yeah. 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 And that's the way I felt at the time. They just keep like, same thing. They were just like, oh, yeah, no, we can't fit you in for blah, 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 you know. And oh, yeah. And like, because you're, with this disordered eating and you're so tired all the time, your mental health suffers, you know, like you get pretty down. So like I could assume that there'd be people in pretty dark holes dealing with the same thing um, because of the eating problem or, you know. So, oh, yeah, there's a massive gap there and I, I feel like, yeah, more needs to be done around that. Mm. So, so guys like myself or younger guys can feel comfortable talking about someone who's, who knows a lot about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your advice for any young men out there who, you know, I have a few who are overseas at the moment competing. Um, what yeah. would be your top tip of advice to help them avoid what you've been through? Uh, <laughs> top tip. Uh, uh, top tip. Um, I would say strength over anything else. If you're healthy and strong, don't worry about the weight. Like the weight will come off with your training. If you're trained hard enough and well enough, if you eat the right foods and you eat enough, the weight will will follow and it will follow to a point where your body's happy. There's no point in pushing it. Um, and I found the best racing I had was when I was six, seven kilos heavier than what I thought my race weight was. So I feel, and I've told this to many guys that, it's about being strong, you know, like first. I mean, no, pretty much no one in New Zealand apart from George Bennett, uh, Ruben Thompson, a couple others are never going to be massive hill, you know, awesome hill climbers because that's just not the way we are here. It's more sort of flat riding. You've got to be a bit heavier. You've got to be a bit stronger. And, um, yeah, that's my advice would just be work on being strong uh, before anything else. Because, um, you know, if you're not strong, then you can't, like, sustain a climbing speed or you can't sustain 
a certain pace in a race because you just cook yourself. Um, so I think it's about being strong before anything else. Yeah, and and in, in cycling, it's talking about power and watts and stuff, and and it's about having the power, um, not worrying about anything else. Yeah, that's what I would I would say. And just um, yeah, and just talk to people if if you feel like you're heading down that path because it's not a, it's not a great one to go down. Mm-hmm. And just talk to your talk to your mates or your cycling mates because they might be going through the same thing. Um, but everyone's so silent about it. It's this big secret um, that um, I feel if you talk about it, um, it's going to get fixed a lot quicker. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. No, great advice. Yeah. You can't be a good athlete if you're starved. No. You're, no. Yeah. You need to be strong, well-fueled, and with that fuel as well, you'll be in a good mental space, which, you know, your mental yeah. strength is pretty important when it comes to top-level competing. Yeah, I think it's the most important. Eh? And if you're starved and you're, you're, you know, you're training heaps and you're tired, you've got no mental strength. It's just you'll get to the race and you'll be flat as a pancake um, because mentally you're not in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, as you said at the top of any sport, like it's the mental game that wins you the race. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Oh, it's been so interesting talking to you Ben and thank you for being so open about it I think it's so important that we talk about it more especially from men yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. thank you no I'm, no I'm happy to help you um sort of give advice and help well if it helps one person I'll be pretty happy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no definitely and I also want to chat with you a little bit because you said you got into the massage side of things through cycling so yeah. Tell us a bit more about being, is the proper term a massage therapist? Is that? Yeah, yeah. it is here um, in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can be, yeah. But um, yeah, massage therapist got into that through um, through my cycling, being massaged myself every couple of weeks. Um, it helped me massively with my recovery. Um, and after we had our kids, I did want to go into the police force. Um, and I looked after our kids. We had twins, girl boy twins. Um, so my wife went back to work and then just after having them and I just didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to, I don't know, I didn't want to go up to Wellington and, and train and work ridiculous hours and stuff like that. So it was my massage therapist that said to me, oh, maybe you should try massage. And, um, that's how that happened. Um, and yeah, and I feel like um, I've got a good sort of, um, uh, not an advantage, but it helps being a cyclist or being someone that's been through a lot of stuff in a sport, endurance sport to to massage these other athletes um, or athletes or general public um, and know what they need and know what um, what it should feel like and... and um, yeah, just yeah, I just I just find um, yeah, being an ex athlete, I can sort of help them a bit more. Like even with their mental side of things, like if they're tired and they say, "Oh, I'm sore on this, on that," um, I understand everything they're going through, and I think that's a big thing for some people. Some people just need some validation that they're doing the right thing, or you know, you know, um, just. Yeah, just any little bit of advice. I like giving advice, even though some people might think it's a bit crazy or whatever. Being a massage therapist, you do get a chance to talk to people a bit more and sort of crack them open and see what's actually going on in their sport. And a lot of guys and girls that do massage, I know them through cycling or whatever, so I can talk to them about that stuff. And, um, yeah, I find that, you know, I feel that helps them somewhat, yeah. Mm. Well, you have, what, usually 30 to 60 minutes to have a pretty pretty good conversation with someone so you can get a lot of yeah. info out of someone in that time. <laughs> you can, yeah. and people divulge a lot of stuff sometimes. <laughs> so uh, it is a good chance to have a chat to people um, and um, just let them talk about what they're going through as well. Um, yeah, and I find being a former cyclist, I can sort of empathise with, with what they're going through in their training or if they're tired and stuff like that, so... Um, yeah, yeah, I reckon um, it's been a good avenue for me to go down, actually. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So you're based in Christchurch doing that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. where can people find you? Uh, my business name is Muscle Concepts. Um, you can find me muscleconcepts.co.nz. Um, so I just work. Uh, we built a unit 
at the back of our house, um, attached to the garage. So I just work out of there and work for myself now. I did work in town for many years, um, about five years, um, an established sports clinic. Um, and then just um, went out on my own um, just for family balance. So I could pick, drop the kids at school, pick the kids up, um, be at home for them um, and just be a bit more um, fluid with my time and take them to their sports and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it's been hard establishing the business. So initially you do have to work some pretty average hours and stuff. But we're getting there and sort of getting the balance right again because it's all about balance. I don't want to go down that path of having a, you know, putting all my focus into the business and nothing into my family, just like I did my cycling. So um, I think, yeah, just getting a balance is, is, is what everybody needs, yeah. 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 It's always a juggling act. Every day of our lives it's trying to get balance and it might – it's never going to be perfect, but we just do the best no. we can at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. Um, just to finish, what are some of the benefits of massage therapy and, you know, would it be valuable for all athletes or – um, I think so. I mean, there's quite a few athletes I know that don't get massage at all, and that's fine because if it doesn't work for them, and they it doesn't work for them. Um, but I I find it's more for injury prevention, not cure. Like I find that um, you know, and I've had it recently with um, the ladies from Mums to Marathon coming. Like it's about um, educating them that prevention is the best, um, although it may not feel like it, and you might be like. Oh, you know, I don't, I'm not sore or, or whatever. Um, it all adds up. And once the training sort of kicks off, um, you know, the more you get into it, you might go, oh, yeah, I feel okay. But then there's this one run where you'll, you know, you'll just sort of step down a bit funny. And, you know, let's say, let's say your calf muscles are super tight because you haven't had any massage um, or you haven't had any treatments or whatever. It's more likely that something's going to happen. So it's sort of educating people that, uh, massage is a really good preventative tool um, so you can keep going and keep pushing on and, and get into your half marathons or your marathons um, without breaking down um, and yeah it can help um, I'm not going to say fix injuries and stuff like that but um, I think the best um, yeah the best thing for massage is prevention that's what I found I've had massage every two weeks and I had hardly any injuries up until probably my last year. And they were pretty much injuries from a crash sort of subsequent to those crashes. So um, more a preventative tool, I, I find, yeah. Part of the bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't matter if you're a, you know office worker or, or whatever. Um, everybody's tight in certain areas. Like neck and shoulders are a massive thing for office workers and the general public. Um it's about looking after yourself at the end of the day. Um, and, yeah, it's a cost thing, but you got to look after your body. I feel like it's, health's pretty important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe I should get more regular massages. I think I've had, like, a couple, maybe one proper sports massage, and it was so painful. <laughs> I think it permanently <laughs> put me off, but um, maybe I need to try again. <laughs> I think it does for a lot of people. It puts them off. Um I always say to them, like, you know, you may, you may be cursing my name in a couple of days, but, you know, like, you tell me if you feel better a couple of days after that. And usually they do, and they do come back begrudgingly, but then it gets better and it gets easier and, um, you know, people feel better during the massage. Oh, it doesn't hurt as much. Are you going softer and you're not, but their body's just getting used to it. So it's about getting used to it. And uh, I remember the first time I got a massage, it was horrendous, but... Um, I'm glad I um, kept on with it because um, it helped me heaps, yeah. yeah. I, I guess um, when I thought of a massage, I was imagining, you know, like a day spa where it's like relaxing and like yeah. <laughs> hot stones yeah. on your back and then I went and got the sports massage and it was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a few people like that and they, um, yeah, get a bit of a shock. But again, like you can sort of um, cater your... Um, massage to suit them as well it's not always doesn't always have to be a sports massage and people come here they don't always come for a sports massage sometimes they're they're too tight they're too tired they're too and they just like oh, can you just take it easy today and that's cool and that's just what you do you know just to help everybody um yeah with their problems whether it be you know tight muscles or just uh, de-stress really yeah mm-hmm.
Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Oh, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been great, yeah. I hope we haven't missed anything um, too important, but is there anything you'd like to finish on or any final words of wisdom? Wisdom? <laughs> uh, uh, no, not not really. Just, just to, um, yeah, just if you've got issues, talk about it. Talk with, with someone, um, especially with your close ones. Don't hide it for anyone. Just hiding it, you're just going to dig yourself a hole. Mm-hmm. So whether it's anything, whether it's eating problems or whatever, um, yeah, and if you see your friends doing things that are unusual, hit them up in a way that's not confrontational, but, um, you know, ask questions if you're worried about them because odds on they are worried and they've kept, kept it to themselves and it's eaten them alive. So, yeah, I just say talk talk about things, eh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Then. Well, cheers, and, yeah, I'll have to come for a massage sometime soon. <laughs> All right, be great. Great to see you. See ya.